It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. There is no doubt we face a profound economic challenge. We now need stability and unity. I pledge that I will serve you with integrity and humility. The most important objective for our country right now is stability. Governments cannot eliminate volatility in markets. You're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics. I'm Ewan Potts. And I'm Caroline Hepke. Welcome to the programme. So it could be a pretty difficult week, though, uh, for everyone. Strikes making life quite miserable. Nurses, ambulance drivers, train drivers, postal workers, and the list goes on. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, you could divide these strikes into several categories, couldn't you? But but travel, there's going to be so much chaos. And pretty much every way of travelling you can think of as being disrupted. My friend's uh, flying back from America on the 24th, but he's desperately trying to get his flight changed to before the border force strike uh, kicks off. It isn't every single airport, but it's all the big airports. And arriving on the 24th, it sounds like it could be pretty miserable. 10,000 flights apparently scheduled to land at airports during the affected dates, uh, which equates to yeah. 2 million airline seats. You know, obviously, it's the biggest, busiest time of the year. Yeah, but it's also a really, really bad time to be ill. Everyone I know uh, has got flu. They're not travelling around because they're at home. Um, now, the Royal College of Nurses wants a 19% pay rise. Now, uh, doesn't look as if the government's going to cave on that, but Bloomberg Sabah Meddings is going to join us on why it's such a difficult time to be ill in the UK. Yeah, a lot of bugs going around, but that's all kind of low-level stuff. But you do worry that you know an elderly relative might need to call an ambulance this week. And of course, mm. the ambulance drive are going on strike. I don't remember that happening before. And that, you know, really serious. So the ambulance services have already been pretty bad this year with a lot, uh, a lot of delays to, to ambulances. Yeah. So it adds really to the litany of headaches uh, here in the UK. The labour market in particular is really, really difficult. We've lost half a million people in terms of workers since the start of the pandemic. That's the other factor behind all of this. Now, uh, earlier, UK correspondent Lizzie Burden and I were speaking to Labour's Jonathan Ashworth, the Shadow Secretary uh, for Work and Pensions. We were asking him about how his party would fix Britain's jobs problem. There are certainly people who are designated as economically inactive. They're not looking for work uh, at the moment. But there's a group of them who, even though they're economically inactive, say they would go back to work if they were given the right support and the right help. So, look, you you started off your uh, introduction by referring to the strikes. The strikes are in many ways a symptom of our economic problems, a symptom of 12 years of lacklustre growth, of our, of our failure to make our economy more productive, and which has impacted or led to uh, wages being squeezed. So how do we need to make our economy more productive? How do we need to grow our economy? One of the ways in which we do that is to increase the labour supply, get more people into work. And yet the United Kingdom is slightly out of kilter with other G- G7 countries in as much as our overall employment levels are lower 
than they were pre-pandemic. And I think we're one of the few G7 countries not to have recovered our pre-pandemic employment rate. And we've got huge numbers of people out of work registering for long-term sickness. We've seen, if you like, a silver exodus of over 50s leaving the workplace. Yet up to 1.7 million of them, according to ONS surveys, would go back to work if they were given the right help, the right support. So what is the right help? What is the right support? If you're talking about people who have uh, long-term sickness, who are unwell perhaps, or who have caring responsibilities, what is support for them to get them back into work? That's a really great question. And I think your question reveals that there's no one silver bullet. But let me give you a few examples. At the moment, our Job Centre Plus system in this country only supports the short-term unemployed who are claiming universal credit. But this cohort aren't registering as short-term unemployed on universal credit. So they may have a a mental health condition. A growing big burden of those who are out of work for sickness is because of reasons of mental health. Yet there is evidence now if you better join up support with mental health services and you actually ask people in mental health services, do you want to go back to work and give you the support and help to find a job? There is evidence from the pilots that that is helping people Uh, find work. But the NHS is on its knees. This week we are talking about the biggest crisis in the NHS, let alone mental health services. This is an enormous problem. Oh, it was a huge problem. But there are pilot projects across the country where employment advisors have been put in mental health services to work with those who are presenting at mental health services. So we, we could be doing more of that. You talk about caring, that's another big issue. So many A barrier to work is childcare costs and the fact that many, possibly in their over 50s now, are probably also caring for a partner or a mum or a dad. Yet that group of people would go back to work if there was flexible work options where they could care for some of the week for their partner, their loved one or their grandchildren and work but at the moment if you went into a job center at 55 you don't need you've got you've got some money you don't need to claim benefits yeah so you're not claiming you you're not signing on as we used to say in the old days that job center won't help you find a flexible work option that job center won't work with local businesses who are, who may well be looking for older workers to return to work so we need to reform the way in which we provide employment support in this country in order to help these different groups of people find jobs yeah you talk about flexible work when he was a minister jacob Rees-Mogg went viral for putting notes on civil servants desks when they weren't in the office the department that you want to lead the dwp striking today if you were its boss would you mind if civil servants moved into full-time working from home well working from home is i think is going to be part of the mix now that's just inevitable and I think most people would want some sort of hybrid arrangement where there's a bit of working from home and there's some working in the office but I think that when you've got when we have a labour supply issue in this country right when we've got over a million vacancies we we need to think about new measures in order to encourage these different cohorts of people who've left the loan market to return to work Uh and for those who need flexible work options we should offer be offering flexible work options and we're an aging society you know uh, we're all going to be caring for loved ones, for mums and dads, because we're all living longer. That's a thing to celebrate. But that does mean the nature of the labour market is going to have to change. Because otherwise, we're going to be... Sh- By 2030, the s- some estimates suggest we're going to be short of 2.5 million workers in this country. Yeah. Uh, talking about costs then, the UK's got the highest childcare costs of anywhere in Europe. More than £1,000 per month Absolutely. for a child under three. It's enormous. Ryan Shorthouse, who... L- was leading yeah. a conservative leading think tank. I'm sure you know him. Yeah. He resigned, citing the lack of vision from the Conservative Party on housing, but childcare costs. This is a huge Absolutely. issue. The only way to solve this, both for 
the labour market overall, but also for, for the childcare issue, is far more workers. We have to fling open the doors and invite more people in. That's the bottom line. That's the consequence of Brexit. Would you change that policy? No, we're not proposing to change the arrangements that, uh, around the single market. Um, you know, Brexit has happened. It's done. You know, we have to move on and accept that. Um, but look... But We've two and a half million workers missing by 2030, how do you solve that? Well, you've got 1.7 million people who are inactive who say they would return to work. And I think we've got to be more proactive in giving people support to return to work. And childcare is one of the big issues. When you look at the, you know, it used to be said, you go to work, you'll lift yourself out of poverty, you'll be able to provide for your family, build a home life and so on. That was the sort of old traditional, perhaps a 90, maybe a 1950s type of outlook. But nonetheless, that is what we were all told when we were growing up. Increasing numbers of people now are actually in poverty, in work. And usually those who are in poverty, in work, it's because two earners in the household are not able to go out to work because one earner in the household has to do the childcare because the childcare costs are so prohibitive. So we've got to deal with childcare. That's why the Labour Party have suggested that we should extend a network of breakfast clubs so parents can drop off children at eight o'clock in the morning and get to work. But you're absolutely right. Childcare is one of the issues that is holding people back. Let me give you another... You're supposed to be able to get some coverage for childcare in universal credit. That's the benefit that lower paid people are on. Yeah, and many of your listeners will be aware of that. Now, you're supposed to be able to cover some childcare, yet it will not cover the childcare costs up front. So if you are a parent, usually a mother, shouldn't be, but it tends to be the mother who wants to go back to work and you cannot afford the childcare, universal credit will, will mean that you have to go into hundreds and hundreds of pounds worth of debt in order before you can claim your childcare element back from the universal credit system. That is crazy, and that is blocking many people from Mm. returning to the labour market. Yeah, I mean, the other issue is that so many childcare settings have simply closed post-pandemic. Yeah, Jonathan, I just need to go back to this. Your leader, Keir Starmer, has said that his focus is economic growth. He says that Labour is now the new party of business. What business wants are softer rules on EU migration. Do you agree that Brexit, at least in some way, is playing into this labour market inactivity? Well, I mean, we've still got high-skilled labour coming to this country via the immigration uh, via, by the, via the immigration uh, regime. I mean, so we still do have immigration, um, and we have said we would have a points-based immigration system. We are not proposing to reopen the Brexit debate. We know Brexit has happened. It's been done. We do think there are things that need to be improved around the deal. We need to make Brexit work. But we... We have, Chris Dimer went to the CBI and he was very clear, we have to have a different way of doing things, which is why one of the proposals I'm putting forward is fundamental reform to the way in which we provide employment support in this country, tackling the barriers which are holding many people back from childcare to transport, to lack of skills and lack of training. We need to be tackling these issues in order to get more people into work. Because if there's 1.7 million people who are inactive who want to work, And don't forget there's what, you know, 1.2, 1.3 million people unemployed looking for work. That's a pool Mm. of 3 million people in this country who say they want to work, yet we're not giving them the proper help, guidance, coaching to help them find a job. But this needs funding. And so too do workers who are in jobs now who are striking. We talked about nurses, train drivers, rural mail, postal workers, etc. Let's just focus on the NHS, the biggest employer in Britain. The nurses want a 19% pay rise. They want double digits. Would you give it to them well, as that, a Labour Party? Just on the... I know you... Let me just... Yeah. One point on that first bit. <laughs> Go on. It needs funding. Can you believe this? In this country, we spend £20 billion on across diff- 49 different training and employment schemes. That's how fragmented 
the system is. I don't believe we're getting bang for our buck on that £20 billion when you think that there's 3 million people potentially who could be in work, yet only 1 in 10 disabled people or older workers who are out of work get any help. So we're not getting bang for our buck of what's being spent at the moment. But that saving isn't going to pay for a 19% pay rise for the nurses, is it? Well, no, but what I would say is that ministers have got to negotiate urgently. Nobody wants these strikes to go ahead this week. And the onus is on ministers to negotiate with NHS staff who got us through our darkest days since the war recently to get them round the table, uh, yeah. to use the, the, the cliched phrase, and negotiate urgently. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. So we pressed Labour's Jonathan Ashworth on what the party plans to do to help people back into work and also on nurses' pay. If you want my vote in two years' time, you know, surely if I'm a nurse or know a nurse, I would not vote Labour unless the Labour Party were prepared to deliver. You've got to pledge to at least deliver double-digit pay rises for those nurses. Otherwise, why would we vote for Labour? First of all, because we would negotiate with your workplace... Uh, trade union representatives Mm -hmm. on a fair deal. We would negotiate on the terms and conditions that you're working under. We would also recruit more nurses and midwives and paramedics and healthcare assistants to work alongside you because part of the reason why uh, you as a nurse are facing burnout and and have been working your fingers to the bone is because there aren't enough of you. There's a shortage for over 40,000 nurses and midwives. And, And this is at a time when the demands on the health service are increasing because there's a greater levels of sickness in society. So it's a, it's a classic demand and supply problem. There isn't the supply of capacity in the NHS yeah. and the demands are increasing. But so we would increase capacity in the National Health Service. I'm sorry, I do want to press you. Let's cut to the chase. Double digit pay increase or not? Look, pay would be a matter for negotiation. And we would sit around with the trade unions and agree a deal. And we would agree a deal around terms and conditions about how pay settlements are reached in the future about staffing and safe staffing and we'd have an would have an honest discussion with our with trade union partners on that i mean unless you're giving me a real terms pay rise as a nurse that sounds a lot like what the tories are saying no because the the, the tories are saying just accept what the pay review bodies have have said and they've got no plan to increase uh, staffing in the nhs and they've got no plan to retain current staffing in the nhs so i do think there is a difference between our approach and the conservative approach 
So that was Jonathan Ashworth, uh, the Labour Party, of course, the Shadow Secretary for Work and Pension, speaking to Lizzie Burden and I just earlier on Bloomberg Radio. Look, we pr- have pressed in the past, and again we pressed the Labour Party again, on what they would deliver in terms of public sector pay increases. They are continually sort of refusing to be drawn on the actual figures. So the, you know, the Royal College of Nursing, we know they want a 19% pay rise. But I think it's really interesting that Labour are holding back actually giving any real figure and what they would do, you know, were they in power. And all of this comes at such a difficult moment. Hospital waiting lists are really long. They're growing. Pharmacies are running out of antibiotics. And, you know, strep A is, has been the nightmare of the last couple of weeks for parents in England, Ewan. Yeah, nurses taking industrial action for the first time in their history and ambulance drivers now uh, joining them uh, in uh, strikes planned for this Wednesday. Mm. In short, it is it is a very bad time yeah. to be sick in the UK. We have Bloomberg's Sabah Meddings on why it is such a terrible time to be ill in the UK. Sabah, even before the latest uh, strike action, the NHS was uh, already facing multiple challenges, wasn't it? Indeed. I mean, the waiting list for routine operations is now up above 7 million. Um, NHS 111 Mm. had over 700,000 calls in the second week of December. That was up 60%. And it's not just strep A. I mean, there's parents, um, children have got scarlet fever, thousands of cases, and that's been a real crunch point for this antibiotic shortage. these ambulances are really under pressure as well. You know, there's waiting times at A&E. It's just really, I mean, it couldn't come at a worse time, really. No, absolutely. I mean, there's a kid in one of my children's classes at school that got strep A, you know, and we, there was that kind of warning to parents on the Friday night uh, that had everybody scurrying and sort of um, being extra vigilant. Uh, on the strike situation, though, itself, Sabah, are the two sides anywhere near any kind of resolution? It's it's really a difficult moment. As I said, Labour doesn't want to be drawn on what they would do. The Conservatives are in the hotspot. They don't want to give the largest employer in Britain, the NHS, a big pay bump because it would be so difficult to fund. But how close are they to any kind of agreement? I think not very close at all. I mean, Mm. there's likely to be more strike action into the new year. If you're a nurse outside London, you earn an average starting salary of £27,000 a year. If you're looking at the the private sector, I think pay rises are up around 7%. So this this 4.3% offer, it's it's nowhere near uh, where nurses want it to be and, and, and ambulance staff as well there, there is a business problem here as well isn't it? it isn't just about a moral case as to whether we want to pay nurses more and it isn't uh, just about you know whether that needs to alleviate the situation but also if we're having difficulty recruiting nurses and there are lots of job vacancies then that is a kind of operational problem, isn't it, for the for the health service? Certainly. I mean, we heard um, just now the, the number of nurses leaving the service, 40,000 a year. And let's not forget, I mean, the, the NHS has to complete on a, compete on a global sta- uh, stage as well. Mm-hmm. You're, you know, nurses, if you're an international, a nurse from overseas, you could go and work any number of countries and, and get a, a job that would perhaps pay you more than you might get in the NHS. So, I mean, with nurses leaving at this rate, it's, it's a real crisis. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, nurses in the US, you know, routinely, earn more than $100,000 you know it's it's absolutely normal there uh, for nurses to be extremely well paid given their qualifications so yes and again going back to the interview that we did with Jonathan Ashworth just this morning we sort of pressed him on 
you know, Brexit, but it's not really to do with Brexit. It's to do with the labour market. We need all of these extra people. We're an ageing population. You've got thousands of people who've, who've dropped out of the workforce for reasons that aren't that terribly clear. A lot of it is to do with ill health, with long-term sickness. So what is the solution? You'd ha- Do you bring people in from abroad? I mean, that requires a massive policy shift that government and Labour don't want to do. Huge. And also, you know, these jobs need to be appealing. You know, if you're if you're if you're picking up the newspapers, you're planning if you're if you're an A-level student or you're planning your career and you're kind of reading the reading that nurses are on strike, ambulance drivers are on strike. It's not a job that you're going to potentially look at, especially when you're kind of thinking, though, cost of living is really biting. If you're not going to get a pay rise, you're not going to get paid fairly, who's going to choose a career as a nurse? What, what's the danger of something going really seriously long this, wrong this winter? Because every, every winter we're told about uh, you know, a difficult winter for the NHS, aren't we? That, that, that's been going on for some time. But it seems like we had a very difficult summer for the NHS, and I don't really remember that happening before. How, how bad could things be this winter? Things are already at breaking point, but I think this year is going to be different from previous in that flu's back. And flu's back with a bang. I mean, his, we've had COVID um, for the last few years, which although we've had, you know, the high cases of COVID putting people in hospital, people weren't mixing in the same way they have mm. been in the last few weeks. Flu is actually, at the moment, a bigger problem for the NHS than COVID in terms of patients. So we've kind of got both at the same time. Families are going to be together over Christmas. They're going to be mixing. Um, and, I, you know, I think that the actually flu is, is a huge problem. Mm. Um, and at the same time, People are fatigued. I mean, nurses and, and doctors and ambulance service, they've had three years of being in crisis and we're going into winter. And I just don't see how it's going to, you know, it is a yeah. breaking point already. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is the biggest kind of crisis for the NHS, surely, in its history. And yet, in terms of kind of big thoughts for how to fix the NHS they are thin on the ground I mean it's really down to the kind of details of the pay negotiations but kind of any solutions are are very difficult we also just learned this morning um, Sabah that we'll, we'll get the budget on the 15th of March so the next kind of big moment for Jeremy Hunt will be on on the 15th so a lot it's three months away but a lot is going to rest for that budget on actually the decisions that get made now in terms of the pay the pay decisions. Absolutely. And I, I do think there also needs to be a kind of a longer term discussion about how you do fix something like the NHS, mm. because it can't just be this long term um, solution of bringing more you know, labour in, more sort of boots on the ground. I mean, is there sort of early diagnostics? They should be, you know, investing in technology. There's a lot of bigger questions. They're going to take a lot of investment. And if we're sort of fighting over a few percent here and there, it's going to be a real political um, problem to actually spend some real money on this. Yeah, absolutely. Newly qualified NHS nurses, £27,000 a starter salary for in a London, it's £32,466. So how do you fancy trying to live on, on that kind of money with inflation at 10%? Yeah, well, that's the key problem, isn't it? Because we already had uh, a lot of NHS workers unhappy with their salaries before. Mm. There's been a lot of austerity for the last 10 years. Uh, uh, pay has increased pretty slowly across much of the public sector. And of course, it is the rising inflation which has really, really thrown that uh, into the into the limelight. Sabah, thank you so much for being with us. Lovely to have you on our podcast for the thank very you. first time. So I hope we'll get you back in. Your beat, of course, is UK business. So uh, lovely to have Sabah Meddings uh, with us in studio. Uh, so in terms of other things that we're thinking about then today, Ewan, I mentioned that the 15th of March is now the date in the diary for the next budget. That's very important. Yeah, yeah. And the key thing of the government, of course, 
public sector pay totals about 200, 230 uh, billion pounds, according to the IFS. So if you factor in a 10% pay rise across the public sector, that is 20 billion pounds the government's got to find, which I don't think the government uh, will be able to find, and I don't think they want to to, to find. Yeah. So that is why they're so keen not to be giving these inflationary pay rises to, to, to any groups, even to nurses, although they have a lot of Yeah, but support. when you have a sicker workforce, when you have 7 million people waiting for a routine operation, I think it's, you know, the government pressure point is obvious to see. The other interesting thing, though, that has happened today that we should mention is the High Court ruling, because this was another massively Mm. controversial government policy. Asylum seekers, people who arrive on boats in England, uh, being then sent off to Rwanda. But apparently the High Court has now ruled that this government policy is legal to send people to Rwanda. Yeah, this has been held up, of course, for months with these uh, legal uh, wrangling. But yes, the ruling today, uh, judgment could have major ramifications, really, for the government judges uh, to dismiss missed an application from asylum seekers, aid groups and a border officials union to stop the government from continuing with their policy of deporting uh, uh, asylum seekers to the Central African country. The government's aim, of course, is to deter people from seeking asylum in the UK. Mm. It's been pretty ineffective of that so far, not least because uh, nobody has been sent to Rwanda. It's just been tied up in this uh, legal red tape. And all the while, uh, more and more people have been coming to the country. About 44,000 so far have arrived just uh, via the channel in these small boats and of course with the weather being cold it is getting increasingly dangerous to do that yeah no it it certainly is but no doubt there will be uh further wrangling even though it's the high court decision because you know we were expecting before we got the result that either side would then uh, would then contest it further right that's it from us for today if you like the program don't forget to subscribe and give it five stars so that other people can find it on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you listen this episode was produced by james walcock and marifal hussein was on sound i'm ewan potts and i'm caroline hepke we'll be back with more tomorrow this is bloomberg bloomberg uk politics listen weekdays at noon on dab digital radio in london The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.